This day is fragile, isn't it? We just have this one day. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. You know, sometimes we can find our, our focus so narrowed down that we lose the picture that God wants for us. His keeping power. His grace to work in our lives. Sometimes I can find myself sitting at my desk with the things that sometimes feel like they're ready to overwhelm me. And the Lord calls to my heart and asks me to pause for a moment. And he opens a wider vision. You know, it's easy to just get narrow-minded, isn't it? To, to find the focus of the day so intense and so pressing upon us that it's like our little world becomes all-consuming. And God wants to open our minds and our hearts up to see a wider stage. A very successful chief executive officer was at his retirement dinner. Seated around him were young, eager executives. Do you know what was on their mind? Their great leader, their successful leader, was ready to speak to them. You know what they were hoping for? He's going to give them some insights to his success. They're hungry for his words. And as he stands up to speak, can you picture them waiting there for every word he's going to say? As he stood up, he said, I know you want my job. And I'll tell you how to get it. Now where do you think they're sitting? Right on the edge of their seats, looking for every word, straining to listen. Then he continues. Last week my daughter was married. As she walked down the aisle, I realized I didn't know the name of her best friend. The last book that she had read, or even her favorite color. That's the price I paid for this job. If you want to pay that price, you can have it. Were these the words that these young men were expecting to hear from their successful chief executive officer? Sobering words, weren't they? A brief few words from a successful worldly leader. In my heart, they called forth a spontaneous reflection. Have you ever thought of that term, spontaneous reflection? That means I didn't have to think about whether this was something that had significance to me. Instantly, my mind went off in reflection. You know what I started thinking about? I started taking inventory about my own family. I started thinking about my oldest daughter, and then Emily, and then my son. Happened spontaneously. This had some relevance to me. Did I really know what I thought I knew about each of them? 
Was I really involved deeply enough in their lives? Was I becoming too busy to really know what was going on? Spontaneous reflection. What about you men tonight? Did it affect you the same way as you heard that story? Because if you were like me, you were probably expecting a similar, a very different answer, but a similar response that these young executives were looking for. They were looking for what? The keys to this man's success. But he gave them a quick panoramic view of what it had cost for that success. And I have had more than a few men sitting in my presence. One man that I remember particularly, a man in his 60s with tears running down his face, and he said, oh, that I had understood the value of the things God has showed you as a young man. He said, my, my young people, I gave them the best home. I gave them the best that I could give them in education. I gave them the best that money could buy. But he said, you know, that one of my sons came to me recently and he said, Dad, there's only one thing that I really wanted. And you never gave it to me. You. I didn't have time with you, Dad. He said, I respect you and appreciate you for all that you've given to me. But what I longed for more than anything was you. Time with you. Men. God is looking for men who will take hold of true leadership in the world that we're living in today. Men that will be successful leaders. Men who will be Christians first. And then men that will be godly, God-fearing, honorable husbands. And men who will be fathers that are faithful to their work in the home. You know, it occurs to me that there may be a woman here tonight who is giving everything she has as a single parent. She doesn't have a man standing by her side. Everything I share tonight, by the grace of God, Jesus Christ will be the man for you to uphold you and sustain you as a woman tonight. If you stand without a man by your side. But I'm going to be speaking to men tonight. Every man here should be a true leader in his home. You see, some men were born leaders. Those men need to learn how to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Some men here were born followers who need to learn how to lead with the Lord Jesus Christ. True leadership in the home is not dependent, men, upon how we were born. But will we be born again by the grace of God, by choosing to cooperate with God? Will we allow the transforming power of Jesus Christ to make us new men in Christ Jesus? It's not how we were born. But if we're willing to let him remake us and be born again from above. You see, Moses was a born leader. Does anybody question that? 
If you look at his history, he was a conquering general. He never lost a battle as he led his armies. But Moses came to the place where he tried to prove his leadership by killing an Egyptian soldier. He thought that this would bring the people to rally around him. That was Moses' way. That was Moses' leadership. But God took Moses through a different kind of training program. And Moses became a true leader under the divine power of God. Moses became meek, humble, and teachable. You will not hear those words very often in the society we live in today, men. Moses became meek, humble, and teachable. That was what made Moses a great man under God. True leadership will only happen under God, brothers. You see, Moses did not then simply become a pushover. When he became a meek man, he did not become a pushover. But Moses stopped being a pushy man when he learned how to become meek. He was not a pushover, but he was not pushy any longer. Moses did not lose control. But Moses stopped being controlling. Do you understand the difference? He did not lose control. He stopped being controlling. Man, meekness is not weakness. This society today equates meekness with weakness. It is not true. True meekness is being hid with Christ. That's the simple definition of true meekness. Being found hid with Christ. That is where meekness has its real meaning. So, if you're a born leader, are you measuring your success by how you work out there in the temporal world? Your success out there? But I question tonight... How is our leadership in the home? That's the leadership I'm talking about tonight. You see, natural born leaders, apart from Christ, natural born leaders often step on people to get where they want to go. That's what a natural born leader does. Is that what Moses did? This Egyptian guard got in his way and what did Moses do? He looked this way and he looked that way and he did away with that man to go on with what he was going to do. Born leaders often step on people. They use principle when principle favors the direction of their course. And they ignore principle when it does not fit with what they want to accomplish. Born followers, on the other hand, by the way, I was born a follower. I was a born natural follower. By the end of my junior year in boarding academy, I learned something very interesting. Born followers don't step on people. They get stepped on by choice. I let people step on me as a born follower 
because I wanted to fit in. I let people, st- I didn't step on people. I let people step on me because I wanted to fit in. By the end of my junior year, I learned a very important lesson. I learned that born followers also pick and choose principle. They pick and choose what principles they're going to accept. But it's more because of convenience and to avoid conflict. Same thing though, isn't it? Still picking and choosing whether we're going to use principle or whether we're going to set it aside for convenience or to avoid conflict. My senior year in academy, I became a leader. I chose to become a leader. What I didn't understand then (laughs) is that I tried to become a leader in the flesh. That doesn't work. But I recognized that I did not want to continue to be a follower anymore. I did not understand how to be hid with Christ at that time. I'm still learning how to be hid with Christ. And I hope that's why every one of us are here tonight. Learning how to be hid with Christ. But tonight, whether you're a born leader or a born follower, you can be a true leader in Christ. Do you believe that? We're prisoners of hope, man. Let's personalize this divine human cooperation as Christian men. When we seek union with Christ, He motivates us. And I'm excited when I see that when I'm willing to be guided by the Lord, He begins to motivate me to search for guiding principles. When I began to open myself up and began to see the vulnerability of myself and began to recognize that I was not the man I thought I was in spite of giving Bible studies and outreach, when I started realizing that I couldn't control my temper and that I wasn't loving my wife and that I wasn't a very good father, I began to turn to the Lord and He began to open me up and motivate me to find guiding principles that would change my course in life. You see, true success in any line is not an accident. It's never an accident. You see, many men, and some of you men here tonight, will go to great lengths to secure worldly success in business. Following tried and true business principles, you can become successful and you will go to great lengths working long hours. I talked to one man recently that went to great lengths to become successful as the owner and CEO of a company. This was a worldly man and I met him and he opened up his heart to me and he said, I asked my wife to give me two years to be successful and it took me three years and I lost my wife and my children in the process. He poured every ounce of his energy working 12, 14, 16 hours a day to be successful and he became so successful that he sold his company for millions of dollars. 
And he lost his family. I don't even ask us men to take 14 and 16 hours to study the principles of success in being husbands, in being fathers. But oh, that we would be willing to put our energies into being successful men for God. Just some of the energy that we have been willing to put into worldly pursuits to provide for our families. Success in the home is vastly more important than success in the world, isn't it? But so many of us have missed that direction. You see, when God begins to open up to us and motivate us to search for those principles, he also provides us the power to enable us to live those principles. Do you believe that? I have found that it is a living power. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It's a living power if we will have a living connection with a living, personal, present Savior. And then, how to apply those principles practically. How to stand for those principles in a way that creates as little conflict as possible. You know, I think of Daniel. When I used to stand for principle, I can remember when I first started having my eyes open to principles. Oh, I was going to stand as true as steel to principle. Can you hear it? Oh, yes. Unbending. You can't move me. I didn't do very well. I got into some of the worst debates and arguments with people. God began to show me through Daniel. You know, our best example is Jesus. But many times we we get led to Jesus through different examples. And Daniel, to me, was a beautiful example. When Daniel was faced with his conflict before the king, Daniel didn't say, you tell the king that I'm not going to eat his meat. And he can do whatever he wants to because I serve the God of heaven. Is that how Daniel responded? There was no arrogance in Daniel. His standing as true as steel, the principle, did not manifest itself in any arrogance or haughtiness or disrespectful manner. He prayed to his God for a way to live out the principle with as little conflict as possible with the king. And God gave him a solution. Didn't he? And Daniel went up through the ranks of a heathen kingdom next to the king because he would not bend to to any compromise. But neither would he lose the spirit of Christ to live out his convictions. God began to show me that if I wanted to hold the principles that he was instituting and that he was encouraging me to take hold of, then I had to hold those principles in the power that only he could provide and in an excellent spirit. You see, principle is always exacting. Principle is always exacting. That means there is 
a firm course that Daniel took. But he took it there under the inspiration of Christ. Daniel didn't make principles fit his context. Do you know that's sometimes what we like to do? Make the principle fit my context. No. God wants us to fit with his context. He wants to change us. He is the potter. We are the clay. And God always is able to interpret his own word. Did you know that? You know, people say, oh, that's your interpretation, and there's so many interpretations of the Bible. And it's true. But you know that if we are willing, if we are really willing to find God's answer, God's word is capable, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, to interpret itself, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We do not have to be left in darkness regarding the principles of God's word. The darkness comes when we're unwilling. It's got to be my way, and I am going to prove that it's my way. And I used to get in debates about how it was going to be my way. Not line upon line, precept upon precept, with a willingness to be taught. You see, when we take hold of principle willing to let principle and God's word interpret itself, we will not be so easily pulled into error. I find people all over the world, I have people corresponding with me, telling me things that I won't get into here in the pulpit tonight. I was just ready to share one of those things and the Lord said no. <laughs> People that are absolutely convinced about things that many of us, I think the vast majority of us here tonight would say are absolutely ridiculous. How could they possibly believe this? But you know, if we find ourselves, men, in the habit of steering ourselves in our study to find the answer that pleases my way of thinking, we're going to be liable for error to take over. And we're going to find ourselves with a cunningly devised error that the devil has specially prepared for us. And we will fall right into it. True leadership learns to trust people and believe in people. And to learn from people. But never, never expect a person to give to me or be for me what only God can be. Truly the Lord spoke when he said, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm. Jeremiah 17.5 Man, if you have not learned this yet, you will. You will. You see, my flesh will fail you. My flesh will fail you. Cursed be any man who puts his trust in me. Because my flesh will fail you. Someone once told me how disappointed they were in me. Their hopes, their expectations had not been met. 
I had done what I believed was right. I had operated off the best I understood. But I had not measured up. I had failed them. The arm of flesh will fail us. The arm of Christ, his mighty right arm will never fail us. And I tell you, friends, that if you're trusting in the flesh, and if you don't know you're trusting in the flesh, God in his mercy will reveal it to you. Because he will not leave us trusting in the flesh. If we find ourselves in the kingdom of God one day, literally, If we find ourselves in heaven, it will be because we have learned how to hold on to the almighty arm of omnipotence, not the arm of flesh. As a man, I daily seek for true leadership in my home. I am drawn and sometimes through tears and heartache, I am driven, driven to the one who says, I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Joshua 1.5, those are encouraging words. Brothers, I hope your family, your circumstances, your, your present personal needs are drawing you or driving you. You know, circumstances can drive us sometimes. I pray that they're driving you to the same one, the only one who can guide you into true leadership in your homes. How are we responding to the call? You see, if we are really responding as true leaders, our family, our marriage, our young people should be the very first ones to receive the fruit of that experience. They should be the very first ones to experience the fruit of true leadership. You see, my family has seen my leadership in the flesh. I hope that doesn't surprise you. They have seen my leadership in the flesh, and they have seen my leadership under the influence, the divine spirit of God. But one thing my family has always seen in the last number of years is that I've always been there for them. They know, under God, they are my first priority. There are three areas that I believe every man should demonstrate true leadership in. Three very important areas. There are many, many areas, but three important areas that I believe every man should be a true leader in his home. Number one, a man should be able to demonstrate in his home You know, it says that we're supposed to be able to give an answer to any man that asks us what we believe. What what is our faith based on? I believe we should do that first in our homes. Our families should be able to understand how to truly surrender. And we, as husbands and fathers, as Christian men, should demonstrate practically how to surrender to Jesus Christ. Our families need to see how the surrender takes place and how we gain a vital connection to a power outside and above us, a power that is able to save us to the uttermost if we come to Him in faith. 
Is your family gaining that demonstration? Are they seeing that true leadership in your home? They can see how to surrender. They can come to you and talk about their struggles and you can explain to them how to surrender and make that connection to Jesus. Number two, how to find and to know the will of God tested by His Word. That's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Not one text, but we should be able to know the will of God. We should be able to help our young people in our home, our wives, to be able to know the will of God. And when it is the will of God, our family should be able to see the fruit that's born from doing the will of God. Now somebody might say, well, you know, God told Abraham to go out and, what? Kill his son. And God said, thou shalt not kill. So how could he do that? Well, I want to ask you something. Did Abraham take his son? Did he take him all the way to the top of the mountain? And when his son said, who's going to be the sacrifice, what did he say? (laughs) He said, the Lord will provide. But he laid his son on the altar. And he raised the knife to slay his son. Did he slay his son? What was the fruit of his decision? The fruit was he revealed the will of God. Didn't he? Friends, our fruit should be there. Our families should be able to see the fruit of knowing, of finding, of testing the will of God. They should see the fruit. Number three. How to depend upon God's power to carry out His will. Many, many years I struggled with knowing the will of God and then trying to carry it out in my own strength. Many men I talked to struggle with this. How to carry out the will of God. How to really get connected to divine power so it's not me gritting my teeth and I'm going to do this if it kills me kind of religion, but really having the miracle working power of God, the infusion of grace working in us that actually does the same thing as when the leper was healed. Real divine power enabling us to live out the will of God. How to depend upon God. Because I am practically experiencing these three areas in my family, in my personal daily life, not that I always surrender and that I am always dependent upon God, but because I am actively participating in these three areas practically every day, In my home, my leadership as a man has become a powerful example for my wife and children. My wife and my young people in our home understand how to surrender to Jesus Christ. 
and they know how to gain hold of divine power. And for a long time in our family, we did no study on the 2300-day prophecy. We did no study on any prophecy. We did no study on the state of the dead. We did no study on a, a lot of these areas. And, you know, that was actually hard for me because that was my whole focus in years gone by. But God kept bringing it back to me as a leader in my own home that the first thing that I needed to instill in my young people was how to know how to surrender, how to gain hold of the power of God, to have a personal experience with God and have a walk with Jesus. And then, now do we study these things? Yes. Because I want my young people to be able to answer not just about how to connect with Jesus Christ. They need to know that first. But I want my young people to be able to tell somebody how they keep the Sabbath and why. And I want them to be able to share with somebody the three angels' messages, but I want them to share it from a depth of experience. What it means to fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. What that really means. Too many of us men have gotten the, the cart before the horse. God wants to turn that around. If we want our wives to respect us, husbands, we need to treat them with respect. And not just treat them with respect. We need to live respectable lives in the home and in the world. We need to live respectable lives if we want our wife to respect us. You see, I believe a true leader becomes a catalyst for success. Do you know what a catalyst is? You know, it's something that gets in there. You put two things together and it begins, something begins to happen. We can't just sit back. You know, the greatest leaders in the world were not just people that sat back and gave orders. The greatest leaders in the world were men who knew what their troops were going through and they were with their troops going through it. We need to be those kind of leaders in our home. A catalyst for success. I remember one afternoon, we were sitting at the table and I looked over at my wife and I just had the thought to ask her how she was doing. And she began to share with me that this hadn't been a very productive day for her. And she just wasn't feeling like she was getting anything really to the finish line like she really felt she should be. She wasn't accomplishing that much. And as she was sharing that with me, the Lord helped me to see a deeper need in my wife. She needed encouragement. She needed a change of surroundings. And so the Lord offered me a solution. Take her out and split wood. <laughs> now that may not be a readily accessible solution to you, men, but it is for me. God will give you the one where you are. Now it had been a long time since my wife had been out splitting wood with me. Now let me tell you what that means. She doesn't split the wood. I split the wood and she loads the wheelbarrow, okay? But we're splitting wood together. 
And so I offered her this solution. Now remember, she had a lot to do. She didn't feel like she had accomplished much for the day. So do you think she's just, yes, want to go out and split wood with you, honey? (laughs) No. She wasn't too convinced. I said, honey, you need to come outside and split wood with me. You see, she needed to know that I knew what she needed. Did you understand that? My wife needed to know that I knew what she needed. She trusts me. She knew that she needed something, and God was helping me to be a catalyst for helping her to be successful in that day. And so, I knew she needed more than a few encouraging words. I knew that she needed time with me. So, I also knew that it would be hard to get her out of the house. (laughs) So as I was leaving the table, I said, Honey, I'm going downstairs and getting my shoes on. I'll be looking forward to you coming out. And I went downstairs and I was getting my shoes on and I was sitting there lacing up my shoes. I said, Honey, I'm getting my shoes on. I'm ready to go out. See you outside. She needed a little positive encouragement. And she came outside. And I began to just encourage her. Try to get her thoughts away from the things that she was feeling overwhelmed with. And You know, the conversation, we had beautiful conversation together. We laughed together. We enjoyed our time together. In fact, we had so much fun together as we got finished doing the wood that we saw another project we needed to get to. And that was, it was time to put away the winter boots and the winter hats and the gloves and all that. And so I said, well, let's do this together. And so we did all that together and put it all the way out in the shed. And then I said, well, why don't we wash the van together? You know, by the time we got finished washing the van, my wife was so invigorated and refreshed. She felt like she had really accomplished some things now. But you know what she'd really accomplished? What she had really accomplished was that she needed to get away into a change of surroundings. She needed some time. And you know, I was thrilled to see that another one of God's ideas really worked. You know, his ideas always work, friends. They always work. The problem is, we don't always think they're that good. Isn't that it? We hear it, and I'll tell you, when we're in the thick of the battle, we don't think the idea sounds that good because it usually goes 180 degrees contrary to what we're feeling at the moment. (laughs) Husbands, we need more God-inspired sensitivity for the woman that He has given us. God-inspired sensitivity. Often by God's grace... In a simple prompting, I recognize needs that my wife has before she ever makes them known to me. That's a work of grace. That's not me. That's the Spirit. But that's exciting. That's the gospel. That He is able to make known to us. Can I read her mind? No. But God knows what she needs. And if I'm willing to be connected to His power then can he help me know what she needs? Yes. Do you think that's an encouragement? 
You try it, men. You ask God to show you. You ask God to make you sensitive to your wife. Have your mind enlightened. And then you do what he tells you to do, no matter how simple it is. If he says, go over and give your wife a kiss, don't argue with him. Don't say, well, there's a couple of people around. Go over and give her a kiss. And you will see your wife begin to come alive. Because she wants true leadership. And she wants that leadership under God. The promise is, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Is that present truth? Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Psalm 73, 24. You see, I believe these. I believe that this is for me. Do you believe it's for you? Then that's exciting. That means that God will really do that. In this day and age, God will really guide us with his counsel. You know, I think we need to ask him to give us, as men, the us focus instead of the me focus. You know, when I look at things through the me focus, do you know what happens? It's just how everything affects me. What she's doing to affect me. When I look at things through the us focus, it's how we're affecting each other and how I can encourage my wife. Not just how she is impacting me. See, husbands, we need to make our wives the first priority under God. Really. My wife really is my first priority under God. You ask her. She knows it. Is it always easy to keep her there? No. Do I ever slip in the priorities? Yes. (laughs) But she is my first priority under God. And I will tell you something that is very important to every man here. You will receive more by giving to your wife than you will ever get by taking. You will get more by giving to your wife than you will ever get by taking. Selfish taking will rob the vitality out of your marriage. Make time for her. Time to really communicate. My wife has often said to me, to know that you really hear me, to know that you really understand what I'm saying, means more to me than just agreeing with me. But when I don't think you hear me, when I don't think you've taken time to understand me, then it's very difficult for me to accept your disagreement. That's an honest statement, isn't it? Really listen, men. Really listen. Be willing to confess your wrongs. You know, that used to be a very hard thing for me to confess. Isn't that weakness to confess? No. It's not weakness to confess. Be willing to confess where you have wronged your wife, where you have wronged your children. I've seen a great blessing in my marriage and in being a father and being willing to honestly admit my failures openly to my own wife and children. Men, let's become catalysts for success. Fathers, put your father hat on now. Take off your husband hat and put your father hat on because I want to ask you an important question. Are you really there for your children? Are you really there for your children, for your youth? 
Or are you on the sidelines? Many fathers are on the sidelines, not intentionally, but because of everything else, they're on the sidelines for their children. And you know, too many fathers today are out of the picture. Out of the picture. One little girl in school drew, for a school project, she drew a family picture which she could take home at the end of the day and share with her family. And when she took it home and she was excitedly showing it to her family, her father asked her this question, where am I in the picture? And she said, you're not. You're at the library. That's where you always are. Where are you, men? Where are you? Are you sitting behind the newspaper? Are you working more overtime at the, the job? Where are you? Are you out of the picture? We need to answer that question, fathers. We need to be catalysts for success in our homes. Josiah, my 15-year-old son, received a letter from a girl who was even younger. She thinks she's in love. She saw him one time at a meeting. Some fathers, now I want you to think about this, do some of this spontaneous reflection. Think about which one of these sounds more like you. Maybe you'll have your own category. These are some of the fathers I've met personally and some of what I have been in my own experience in the past. Some fathers wouldn't even know that he received a letter. Wouldn't even know. Some fathers wouldn't even care. Some fathers would throw the letter away and blame their son for receiving such a letter. It must be his fault. And some might say to their son, go ahead, write her back, see what happens. Now there could be a lot of different responses there. How can I be a catalyst for success as a father in this scenario with my 15-year-old son? Well, Josiah brought the letter to me. And he said, can we read this letter together? When he finished, I encouraged him to share with me his thoughts. How he thought the letter sounded and what he thought should happen with the letter. I entered in with him and discussed it with him on his terms, on his level. And then when I was finished on his level, then he wanted to hear it on my level. He wanted to open up to what I thought about the letter. You know, too often it's easy to want to dive in, fathers, if we're taking any interest at all, if we're not one of these that doesn't care and doesn't even know there's a letter, to dive in too quick. 
So after I listened to his thoughts, then he was willing to listen to mine. Youth and experience. He decided that it would be best that he not write her back. I agreed. (laughs) But he had a sensitivity. He did not want to leave this girl the impression that the letter was never received and that no one cares for her. And so we talked about who should respond to the letter. And he decided who should respond. Not him. And it wasn't me. But who would respond to the letter? He decided. And we talked about it. You see, I want you to put yourself in this situation, fathers. Just, and I hope you were as we were talking about it. What would be your style of leadership in this? What would have been the response? Would you have been too busy to even know there was a letter? Would you have been too busy to take time when your son came to you and wanted to read the letter together? Would you have been too busy and put him off to the side? Or just give a mandate, arbitrary rules that won't work? Would you be the laid-back, easy-going, anything-goes style where compromise reaps heartache? You know, a lot of men today just take the easy-going. They'll let their wife handle the situation. They don't get involved. And they just reap heartache in that situation. And then there's the dictatorial style, the dictatorial spirit, which often has right principles as a foundation, but the wrong spirit in application. And that's a deadly combination. Men, that is a deadly combination. Compromise is a deadly uh, combination, but a dictatorial harsh spirit with the right principles is a deadly combination. It's interesting, the Gallup poll people that do these worldly surveys did a Interesting survey of young people recently. Just on the general population, no professed Christianity, nothing like that. Just young people in the world. Here's the question that these young people were asked. What is the very best gift you could receive? What is the very best gift you could receive? That was the only thing they asked in this survey. The very best gift you could receive. And here was the answer. Here was the answer that came out way above anything that was even close to it. More time with mom and dad. Can you imagine that? More time with mom and dad. What a heart cry, fathers. What a heart cry. I want to just entreat you men tonight, don't be put off by the cries you hear. They won't always sound like that. They won't always say, oh, Dad, I want more time with you. If you haven't been taking time with your young people, the heart cry might be very different. It might be very different. It might be very angry and very bitter and very coarse 
And it might sound just the opposite. It might even, if things are really bad, it might sound like the demoniacs and they're running towards Jesus and they're screaming and cursing Jesus and the disciples are running. That's what many fathers do. They hear the heart cry of their son or daughter and they don't interpret it right and they run. What did Jesus do? He went and met the heart cry of those demoniacs because he heard the cry from within. Oh men, we need to hear the cry from within and take time for our young people. You see, fathers, now is the time to develop the strong bonds of trust and loyalty with our children and our youth. If you do not become the catalyst of success now in your communication with your young people, you will struggle. You will struggle with effective communication with your young people in a crisis. I've seen it, and it's tragic. Men who will not take time for their young people, and then in the crisis, the results are tragic. Doesn't mean it can't happen. Doesn't mean it can't be recovered. Doesn't mean there won't be a prodigal return. It just means that now is the time to develop this kind of communication. Now is the time for fathers to take time to build this bond. You see, men, the question is not whether we have failed in true leadership tonight. No. The question is this. Am I willing today to make a commitment to God first? And then to my family, choosing by God's amazing grace to learn and to practice true leadership as a Christian man, true leadership as a husband, and true leadership as a father. And as you are thinking about that commitment tonight, remember the words of our Lord. He says to each one of us, I will be with thee. I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Is there a man tonight who would be willing to make that commitment to God and his family by standing with me and saying, I want to be a true leader in my home? Thank you. Praise God. What a thrill to my heart. Men of God, men who are willing to be led by God to become true leaders. The devil does not like this, men. The devil hates this. But God will bless you. And God will remind you that he will never fail you, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, and that he will make each one of us the true man, the true leader that he's calling us to be. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.